1: This is The Vice Guide to Right Now, your inside look into the best of vice. It's Wednesday, December 5th. I'm Sophie Casas. Today, we're talking to Vice Senior Culture Editor, Alex Zaragoza, about how the border crisis is wreaking havoc on the lives of cross-border students. While closures and violence at the US-Mexico border are far from new, The last few weeks have seen a significant uptick. This is the new reality for trans-border students, young people who cross the border daily to go to school and sometimes to work. We've heard a lot about the migrant caravan and how the heavy military presence at the border is affecting refugees and asylum seekers. But there's another group greatly affected by this heightened sense of fear and intimidation. It's daily commuters. So today, Vice Senior Politics Editor Harry Cheadle is talking with Senior Culture Editor Alex Zaragoza about the trans-border experience.
2: So Alex, I guess I wanted to start by asking you, what are the lives of people like who have to regularly cross the U.S.-Mexico border for work or school?
0: It's quite a few thousand that cross daily and commute across the border. And that ranges from people that go to work and they, they just work across the border to students that attend school um to cross the border and a variety of other reasons. People cross even just to do their shopping, run errands, whatever. But it's people that live binationally. Basically, they live, work are educated, whatever, on both sides of the US-Mexico border. And so crossing the border for those people has always been wrought with a lot of difficulties, a lot of obstacles. But as of late, with the intense militarization at the border and um, the, you know, presence of the migrant caravan and the protests that have broken out because of that and really just the inhumane conditions that are going on around the caravan. It's just exacerbated an already not great situation.
2: So what is it like to cross the border for school or work? Like, do you have to go through an interview each time with uh, border security or what? For people who aren't familiar at all with how that works, uh, what happens?
0: Sure. So um, for a bit of background, I grew up trans-border. So I grew up from the age of 12 onwards, crossing the U.S.-Mexico border for school and work um, myself. And so that often requires waking up at very, very early hours of the day. So I'm talking for some people, to 3 a.m. For myself, it was about 4 a.m. or so waking up to get yourself ready to get into a border weight because you you can't predict necessarily um, how long the border is going to take so you might get lucky and do an hour or less an hour and a half border weights have been known to be two plus hours four hours Um, so there's just the a like the process of waiting, of sitting in your car every single day, Monday through Friday, sometimes on the weekend, just to get across the border for school, for work, to get an education, to sustain your family, to sustain yourself. So that already is kind of a lot. The border itself is, it's a very hectic environment. It's an environment that's just, it has its traumas and it also has its joys that people find. I mean, there's, there's a ton of amazing food you could buy there because there's an entire economy that basically subsists within the border as people eat, and they're sleeping in their cars. or doing So you could buy a blanket, you could buy breakfast, you could buy your lunch for later. It's all there on the border. But there's also a lot of people that you see that are in the process of being deported. If you look just across the gates, you could see people getting dropped off at the border and forced across the gate to back into Mexico. The poverty that's on the border is um, quite gut-wrenching often when you see, you know, young children, very, very young children juggling, selling gum, whatever it is that they got to do to make some money to, you know, help support their family. Or maybe it is just so they can buy themselves a little something because they're like seven years old. There's a lot of that. And then once you get to the border checkpoint the scrutiny that you that you are interrogated with is like i mean it varies sometimes it's just like a what are you bringing back from mexico why were you in mexico okay and they let you through other times it's very intense where they're in a way asking you to to rationalize your existence in a way that's the way it feels for a lot of people that especially as you're doing it every day it's like it becomes such an innate part of your uh, of your identity and of your understanding of your cultural heritage and where you come from to be treated on a daily basis as a second class citizen and that's as a US citizen because the people that are crossing the border every day They're either U.S. citizens or permanent residents. They have green cards, so they're not crossing illegally. Most likely because they're working in the U.S. or going to school in the U.S., they're paying taxes. They're living their lives on both sides of the border. And with a housing crisis in San Diego that makes it nearly impossible to rent or buy a house, a lot of Americans are also moving into Tijuana because they could they could rent an apartment for three hundred dollars a month and then they cross the border. And so the same goes on both ends in that way. But the scrutiny is what's difficult. There's some discriminatory practices that are very, very common, just really dehumanizing things that are said or done to you as an example um when i was 15 or so 15 or 16 we were stopped by the border patrol like the 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 car the drug sniffing dogs were all over my sister's car and yeah, I was with my sister who was like in her twenties at the time. And um I guess the day before she had been smoking weed in her car. I don't know. And so they sent us to secondary inspection and separated us within that that space that's in itself kind of like intense and it's only worse now. But they separated us as they were giving me a pad down. They detected a like a maxi pad because I was on my period. And they like took me into a room and forced me to like pull down my underwear and pants to uh, prove that I was on my period and not like smuggling cocaine in a maxi pad, I guess. Um, wow. So those are like pretty routine things that happen.
2: Wow. Is, is this sort of thing, is it becoming more common or worse under Trump somehow?
0: From what I understand, from what I research and hear from people, they are noticing an uptick in... Um, the the questioning that's that's happening at the border. So I, when it comes to other measures like, you know, removing of clothing and other things, I'm, I'm not quite sure. But I do know that the questioning is more intense. There was one person that told me about, like, that just recently where they're like, no one's in your car, right? There, is there anybody in your car? And they're like, just like, who's in the car now? They're like, well, no, like, migrants might try to hide in your car. So we need to inspect your car. And I mean, car inspections have always happened, but things are intensifying right now because of the crackdown at the border.
2: What did the people you spoke to for your piece think about the migrants and the border and sort of the uh, political situation more generally there?
0: It was really fascinating because they were so conflicted and I could understand why, but it, it was still hard to hear. A lot of people that I interviewed that do trans-border activism, the the trans fronterizo students that I spoke to that— um Really make a point of uh, doing like you know photojournalism or like archiving of like the situation there and stuff. They're very much in support of the migrant caravan. They're doing a lot of work on the ground. The people at Border Click and Thassel out of UCLA and um, San Diego State are doing a lot of activist work there, and it's very important to them because they see themselves reflected in that caravan. There is a recognition of the privilege there and being able to cross when these people. they're seeking refuge just in the hopes of getting across that borderline you know i noticed that the the older they were they were more like yeah like fully in support of the refugees that are there in tijuana now but the younger ones didn't quite understand it in a like didn't quite understand it, which is makes sense considering they're, they, they might just not be fully informed. But what was interesting was hearing them say, like, I know they're seeking the same opportunities I'm seeking. They're just here trying to get the same thing that I am, which is an education, which is, you know, a job, which is, you know, the opportunities to make my life better. That was the resounding message throughout. Like, I know they're looking for the same thing I am. But then the, the caveat was always like, but I just wish that they were doing it differently. They would put, put it a lot on the refugees that are part of that caravan because I think they see when they see like the violence break out, the protests break out, they see it as them just wanting to get whatever they want by force. So it, it was a bit of con- like conflictedness that came from, from the younger students, I'd say. But an overall sense of empathy.
2: Alex, I don't know if you wanted to answer this yourself or or just talk about what the people you've spoken to uh, think about this, but how could the border be made better for these people who have to cross it all the time? What, what uh, reforms should we think about here?
0: Oh, I mean... God, there's so many things. Um, So the border has been going through an expansion plan for the last few years. And this plan was set to expand the border to make it easier for commuting. That was started before the Trump administration um, came into office. So we as like regular border crossers, like my family's in Tijuana. I when I go home, I go to Tijuana. We we've looked at The many things and it's it's in some ways, it's pretty simple. It's like you need to open more gates, you need to have lanes always open, you need to have it fully staffed so that these border expansions that are happening are actually useful. If you're going to have Uh, double lanes in effect. So basically when you cross into one lane, there's two border patrol agents. So they take two cars at a time. In effect, if you have most of your lanes closed or there's closures happening regularly, that's going to greatly affect how fast the border is actually moving. There was a very short period of time during the border expansion where they they were actually fully staffing um, the San Isidro border. And it was it was like, oh my god! People were so excited because they could actually get to work on time. They could actually get to school on time and not have to worry. And now they're back to like three a.m., four a.m. wake up calls, and um, having a plan. Like if I go in at ten a.m. for work, I have to leave my house at six just in case like something happens. So it's like fully staffing the border is an important, a very important part of that. But also like just like a full cultural shift in the way border patrol agents are trained and in handling people and like respectfully you know questioning people we understand like I think everybody understands like wherever you stand on like whether you think there should be borders or not knowing that there's a border there like I think we all come to it knowing that there's going to be questioning but it's like the level of like discriminatory practices, the level of dehumanization. When when a border patrol agent is asking for your number when you're a woman or telling you to smile or um, emptying your purse out or your backpack out in front of everybody, when they're giving you pat downs, when they're, I mean, there's just this power trip in a way of people that they hire to to interact on a human level with others that is just, it's just being poorly done. And I think, Part of it is like who they're hiring. Their hiring practices in general is not the best and and stuff. So there's there's a lot there. It it would take a lot of things, but I don't I'm not holding my breath for the border to be a pleasant experience ever. It's I don't think it ever has been. I don't think it ever will be. Sadly.
2: (laughs) What what are the people you talk to uh, for the story? What are they hopeful about when it comes to the border? And uh, what are they fearful about?
0: Well, I think currently the fears are outweighing the hopes, uh, unfortunately, because of how bad it looks. I mean, you look at photos of the border, the U.S.-Mexico border, the Tijuana, San Ysidro border, and one of our coworkers here was like, "It looks, it looks like like the Gaza Strip. There's barbed wire everywhere. There's walls being erected. There's heavy military presence with like guns and agents and riot gear." It's it's very intense. So the fears currently are outweighing the hope. But here's a thing. And that is the positive thing. I guess you could (laughs) we could wrap on, if anything, is that even through that, the sacrifice of crossing the border, of dealing with a military, of dealing with the intense scrutiny, of dealing with the PTSD, the trauma, everything that comes along with it, even through all of that, they believe it's a worthwhile effort. Because of what crossing the border means, what opportunities it presents itself. They're like, if I cross the border, even if it's four hours, even if somebody says something horrible to me, even if... um the dangers feel greater. At least I know when I get across, I'm going to go to school and I'm going to get a better education or a good education that is hopefully going to allow me to go to college or get a good job that helps me support myself and my family. This is my best opportunity that I have. And you, yeah, it's just, it's it's very overwhelming to hear that and see that. And to them recognize like how hard it is and know that it's going to affect them for the rest of their lives but knowing that this is my best option and i'm just going to do it and i know for myself on a personal note like i i lived that you know i i understood that no matter how hard or unpleasant or or difficult it was and its effects still affect me every like on you know regularly um I know that that is a reason why I'm here today, like doing the work I get to do. You just you just have to do it. And it just breaks my heart that they have to deal with anything as hard as what they have to deal with at 16 years old, at 14 years old, at seven years old, just to get those same
1: opportunities as others. You can read Alex's full article at vice.com. That's it for now. Thanks so much for listening, and tune in again on Friday for another Vice Guide to Right Now.
0: Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable.